0: Poland. uh, Things that come to mind. Not a whole lot. No. (laughs) Poland. Probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages. No, I don't know anything
1: about that country. Poland. Sausages. (laughs) pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Hi, this is Małgorzata Bonikowska, and you're listening to episode 73 of Polcast, recorded and produced in Toronto. Every day brings us new numbers, and every single number is someone whose life has been affected by this horrifying pandemic that has changed our world in ways we could not have imagined or predicted. Someone infected or someone deceased. Those numbers keep growing every day, and we all pray or wish for the day when we hear that they have begun dropping. It is a time of emergency, and nothing around us is normal. As I announced to you last time, for the duration of the pandemic, I will be presenting to you various experts and practitioners working tirelessly to beat the virus in many different ways. Podcast has now been transformed to COVID nineteen themed podcast and will be released more frequently than once a month, maybe every two weeks, like now, or maybe every three weeks, depending on how much strength I will have to produce it. In my last podcast episode seventy two, I presented to you my conversation with Dr. Rafa Kustra, associate professor at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. This was your encounter with science. Today, the pandemic as experienced by someone who risks her life every day, a frontline worker. Isabella Bella Tintz lives in the Kitchener-Waterloo area and works in a long-term care facility. She's a mother of five, three boys and two girls. Two of her children are from foster care. You're a PSW, which is a personal support worker. And what does that mean?
2: Uh, I generally uh, take care of the elderly generation or people with uh, severe disabilities that need assistance in um, uh, things like daily activities, personal care, um, shopping, taking care of their home. But majority of my job includes a one-to-one personal support for a person with any sort of uh,
1: medical needs. So you mostly work, you visit people at home and you take care of them at home? No,
2: I actually work in a long-term care and a retirement home, uh, which is a facility. I do not do community work now. I did it for a little bit prior to this
1: job, but right now I am full-time in a long-term care. Is it the same place, or do you go from one place to another?
2: No, at this point, during the COVID uh, pandemic, I am in one facility.
1: How many residents does it have? They're all seniors, right?
2: A majority of them are seniors. We do have some younger residents. Uh, Right now, we are at 126 occupied beds. Uh, We are expecting to get some more residents uh, within the next week or so due to COVID. uh, They are being relocated from the hospital into long-term care. So the hospitals have uh, more beds available.
1: So it's not at capacity.
2: We are almost at capacity. We only have about eight uh, beds available at the moment. Uh, We'll see how that's going to work out. We don't know the exact details yet, but we are making more space available if any hospital needs more beds.
1: So what is the situation there? Is everybody healthy?
2: So right now, my facility is COVID-free. That means we have no active cases among the residents or the staff. However, we do have several residents that are in quarantine at the moment. It is because they do have frequent visit into the hospital. They do go for dialysis or any other medical uh, treatments and they come back which makes them right away go into isolation as a precaution.
1: From what I know, people are not allowed to have visitors. Is that the same in your facility?
2: So that is correct. Um, They implemented the um, security about two and a half weeks ago. It's in guidance with the Ministry of Health at the moment. So there hasn't been any visitors and our long-term care for the past two and a half to three weeks depends on where you work. Yes, the families are not allowed to visit. Uh, our staff, we're no longer allowed to work in two facilities. I chose to work at my facility. I cannot
1: go and work anywhere else at the moment. How do these elderly people cope with the fact that they can't have family members, their loved ones visit them? especially now with Easter coming, time of of celebration? So
2: this is probably one of the saddest parts of uh, COVID. A lot of the people, especially those that have... dementia or some kind of um, memory loss, or they're not able to really focus on what's going on. They're not coping too well. A lot of them suffer from or starting to suffer from depression, I should say. It's very difficult uh, time for them at the moment. They don't often understand what's going on outside. Uh, We try to limit how much information from the outside comes to them, as it makes them very anxious and very worried. We try to tell them minimum uh, of what's going on, but we do keep them informed, of course. They're very sad. It's a time of celebration, like you said, Easter is coming. Uh, a lot of them cue into the fact that it is Easter because um, uh, we do decorate the places inside. They do ask questions about when their family members will come and visit, why they haven't co- uh, come and visit them in the last couple of weeks, and what's happening. It's sad to see. A lot of them cry. A lot of them um, are very confused. A lot of them are concerned about their own family members that are outside of the walls. Um, We try our best to keep calm. We try our best to make it as um, fun and exciting for them as we possibly can. However, we cannot replace family members. So this this is a tricky time right now for everybody, for the residents as, as well as the
1: staff. I'm sure it does happen from time to time that some of them are approaching the last minutes or hours of their lives. Are there any exceptions? I know in hospitals, uh, doctors do make exceptions for the family to be able to say goodbye.
2: In my facility, unfortunately, no. Uh, so nobody's allowed in the building um, at the moment. Uh, I hear from around um, that they do implement the safe, safety precautions, so that means uh, visitors are not allowed even if it's approaching the end of life. Uh, it is for safety of other residents as, as well as the staff. What's unfortunate, is that around us, there has been facilities that are positive for COVID. Uh, These facilities are in an outbreak at the moment. That means that they had one positive case. At this point, even one positive case from staff or the resident is considered an outbreak.
1: What happens then?
2: I can't really say what happens in other facilities. I can only speak to our facility. We are right now in what is called a stage two that means all staff members do wear um uh, appropriate ppe ppe being personal protective
1: equipment personal protective equipment
2: in our case we enter the facility with our masks on Uh, We sanitize everything. We're not allowed to take the masks off, even when we care for the residents. We do wear proper PPE when we enter the quarantine rooms. It is definitely a different feel at the moment. It is definitely more scary for the residents. It is a little bit anxious for us as well. Uh, We never know going into work what we're going to find that day. Again, we try to keep good humor. We try to do our best to really entertain the residents as we are the only people at the moment that they see
1: day to day. When they see you in those masks and gloves and all this stuff, that must be an extremely scary sight for somebody who has relatively little understanding of what's going on around them.
2: We try to make it fun a little bit. We draw on our masks, happy faces, little hearts, or we try to be creative. Mm. Uh, We put uh, little stickers on ourselves, on our cheeks, or on our forehead, just to make it a little bit more fun for them. We do enter the rooms trying to be very positive, oftentimes. We laugh, we sell aliens from a different planet. You really do have to. Some of them do get very scared. They don't know who you are behind the mask. They often ask you to repeat your names several times during the day. Again, it's up to us as staff to um, try to keep them calm. If we're calm, they seem to be calm. A lot of them do recognize our voices, so it's not as scary for them. Those who don't recognize our voices, especially Uh, people with dementia we have to approach them a little bit differently a little bit more distance between them trying to explain why we're there try to explain why we're wearing the masks or the equipment it's a challenging time at the moment yes
1: do you normally touch them and hug them
2: our care involves a lot of touching
1: yes that's what i wanted to ask because that's exactly what i remember from the time when my mother was taken care of by PSWs and my best friend who recently died as well. And there was a lot of physical contact and a lot of tenderness. How do you deal with that now? Can you touch them?
2: Yes. So that hasn't changed. You have to understand that a lot of people that are in facilities can't really take care of themselves. So they need someone to help them uh, perform any task. Touching is part of our job. Of course, right now, we're a little bit more cautious about it. However, the care hasn't changed. It's a little bit different. I do have to admit it. It's a little bit different. We wear gloves a little bit more. You have to approach it day to day. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what other safety precautions they're going to put in place tomorrow. But as for now, um, nothing has changed in terms of caring for them. The only real change is that we do wear the masks day to day and a little bit more gloving uh, around our patients. But other than that, everything seems to be flowing the same way. We try to keep it as it was before. Other than that, we go to work, we smile, we perform our care, we smile some more, uh, we sing some more, and then we go home.
1: You don't keep the distance between each other though, right? It's impossible probably.
2: It's uh, Between the staff we do, we did uh, put some um, social distancing at work. In the lunchroom, uh, there's only five people available because there's only five tables. They are are spread out about six feet apart. Uh, They did make uh, other rooms a little bit more available to us so we can safely keep our distance. Uh, The residents are distance as well. Uh, In the dining room, everybody sits by themselves which is another challenge that we're facing. A lot of them are very used to sitting with certain people or they're used to sitting in a specific seat. Right now, that has changed. So that's our way of doing social distancing is keeping the residents six feet apart
0: from each other.
1: Do you have a plan, a strategic plan in case, in case there are more cases, in case you... Um, you find there is one resident who is sick, or one of you is sick?
2: Yes. So, right now, what the facility is doing uh, for the staff is every time we enter the building, um, we have to enter in, in our street clothes. We're not allowed to come in our uniform. Uh, we do have change rooms. Uh, our temperature is being taken the minute we enter the building. There's a uh, questionnaire that's being asked by a nurse. We change into our uniforms. Uh, We put our masks on, and at the end of the shift, we are checked again with the questionnaire. Uh, Our temperature is checked again. We take our uniforms off, put it in specialty bags so they're sealed, and then we take it home to be washed. So there is a lot of safety in place in terms of how we screen staff at the moment. The care has to be performed. Uh, What's going to happen probably, let's say we do have a positive case, is that we will be Uh, wearing uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, uh, probably all the time going in and out from every single resident. We have been asked if any one of the staff needs hotel accommodations. Uh, That's just in case if you have family member, like in my case, with my husband having some health concerns that it wouldn't be recommended for me to stay at home so I have been offered in case an outbreak does happen uh, that I will be provided with a hotel room so I can stay away from my home
1: somewhere closer to the place where you work
2: yes are you scared Isa um am I scared I'm cautious I'm cautious I do everything I can uh, to do my social distancing. I am um, distancing myself right now from my family at home. That means I have moved into my daughter's room and uh, they're not allowed to come here. Uh, we do keep social distance at home. I am always probably good six to eight feet away from everyone. I do not sleep in the same rooms as anyone else. Um, I eat farther away from them. So we're generally not at the same table. I occupy one chair in my living room and nobody's allowed to sit on it. I do disinfect my house quite often. Am I scared? I'm scared more for my family members to get it than I know what the risk is for me. Uh, If I was scared, I wouldn't be going to work, but I am very cautious. My coworkers and I are very aware of what the risks are at the moment. I haven't heard too much of... um, From my staff and people I work with, that we wouldn't come to work. It's just not an option for us. Uh, I actually am taking a lot of extra shifts at the moment just to alleviate the pressure that is put on the workers. Uh, We try to be a good team. We try to have a good spirit. We do help each other out. Um, Those who have been in contact with someone that has COVID or those who fear, this have taken time off. Um, We have quite a few workers that decided that for the safety of their family, um, they decided not to come to work. And that's within their right, of course. But that also means that uh, we have a shortage of staff. And as you probably hear, it's everywhere. There's not enough workers. Uh, So those that state do know the risk. We are pretty aware of uh, what's happening around us. However, I look at it, um, those elderly and those who really have medical conditions and those who really are disabled and really in need of help, they do need us. If everybody gets scared, if everybody starts walking away from the job, then who will be
1: left there to take care of them? What made you decide to do this job? It's its such an incredibly
2: I I know, was altruistic
1: always... job, such a difficult, hard, physically hard and emotionally hard work. But you have to be a special person to be able to do it and to do it with compassion and understanding and love.
2: I was always involved in the community. For a while now, a couple of years now, I've been organizing backpacks for homeless. So I was involved in the homeless community. I do have to say I'm also a proud mother of two foster teenagers. I had my son the last three years and I have my daughter. It will be on a year and a half. Now they do reside with me. Uh, They're part of my family. So exposure to people's needs have always been in my life. My mother was also involved and is still involved in an organization and helping children around the world and so on. So it is somewhere rooted in me helping others. Proudest things probably is me doing this job and my foster kids. And um, whether it takes a special person or not, people do it and and i admire everyone who is in healthcare right now and in the front lines and i don't feel that um i am any kind of an angel i don't feel like i need you know people telling me you are my hero i chose it i knew what i was getting into obviously i didn't know i was getting into pandemic at the moment when i was taking my career (laughs) but um it, it is wonderful. It is wonderful to help. It is wonderful to be appreciated. It is wonderful to see the residents smile and, you know, hug your face and be thankful. And you can see uh, compassion and you can see love and you can see understanding. It's, it's, it's a human contact. At least for me, it's a natural thing.
1: What can I say? It's incredible. And I'm very happy that you're doing it. And a lot of people are doing it. And that's an amazing part of Canadian healthcare system, other than just the long-term facilities or any facilities that we have the system where uh, people in need can get access to help like yours at home as well.
2: Yes. Right now, it's a little tough uh, because of social distancing. Uh, From what I hear and what the understanding is, community Uh, PSWs, so those that are in community services, meaning they're going into people's homes, are a little bit more restricted. Again, you're going from a person to person's house. So they're facing a lot of difficulties. You can't really distance yourself. You go from one client to another to another. So that's proven to be a little tougher.
1: But that doesn't mean it stopped existing, I hope. No,
2: it still exists. It's just a little bit more difficult Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the moment. And obviously, anything right now is difficult. But uh, again, with PSW, social distancing is something that we don't really think about because we can't really distance ourselves.
1: You distance yourselves from family members, right? But you don't distance yourselves from your patients or people that you care for.
2: No. So the roles have switched. We are very close with our uh, residents, not so close with our family members, but it's only because we love them and it's only because we want to protect them. I want to protect my children. I want to protect my husband. I want to protect my mothers who I haven't seen in uh, almost a month. We do FaceTime on Messenger. It is very hard because I don't know when I'm going to see her again. It is a, a choice that I made going into this job. It is also... Kind of a requirement by the facility to kind of avoid going seeing your family members um, because obviously uh, we have people in quarantine in our facility and an out- outbreak can happen at any time. And I wouldn't want to expose my mother to that or my father. So I stay
1: away. So, your Easter, my dear Isa, what is it going to be like? You're going to be having a shift in your facility?
2: So, I do work Good Friday and a Saturday. Mm -hmm. I am off on Sunday because I've been working six, seven days straight now. It will be different this year. I'm only staying at home with um, my children and my husband. We're going to have an Easter breakfast on Sunday. Uh, We're going to do a messenger this year, which will be interesting. We're going to do FaceTime with my family, with my sister and my mother Uh, We're going to try to do Zoom (laughs) now that you introduced me to that. So keeping social distancing, they can still be close with me at breakfast. I'll see their table. They will see my table. We'll still (laughs) talk and have a glass of wine. But life goes on. I feel like we need to stay positive. Uh, We can get too ahead of the craziness that's going on right now. We should keep our distance from each other. We should stay home as much as we can. As for us, healthcare workers, we keep our distance from our family so we can be close to the
1: residents. Do you have any Polish residents in your facility? I actually do. So I'm thinking about it because on Monday, when you go back to work, you should do smigus dingus. I should, but that would scare them probably. (laughs) Uh, I do
2: have two residents that are Polish in my facility. Uh, Surprisingly, Uh they both speak Polish. They came here when they were little, very little. They're amazing. They, they, They sing with me. We can speak in our language. It makes it a little bit closer to home for them we do talk about our easter traditions you know what you you make it what it is right like i can't change what's happening outside but i can definitely we as a team of psws can definitely make a difference inside the facilities and we do try so sometimes the families would ask us can you bring my dad or my mom downstairs to the window we have big windows in the front lobby Um, So we try to do that. Sometimes it's a happy visit. Sometimes um, there's a lot of crying, uh, which can be very stressful and difficult for our residents. Obviously, the families are heartbroken that they can't be inside with their mom or dad. We are definitely living in different times at the moment. Definitely.
1: So, so much more depends on you. So much more is up to you guys. And that's yes. something that is, I mean, seriously, I'm full of admiration. And I'm happy that there are people like you. Because, okay. you know, I lived with a mom who had dementia for nine years. And I could see how incredibly dependent she was on the touch, on the music that she heard, on the words that she couldn't. she couldn't recognize me anymore for many years. But that was not the point, right? The point was that when I touched her, she felt... Comfortable, so that is so important. So thank you for doing this for so many people. That's amazing.
2: No problem. I love it. I enjoy it. I don't go to. I don't wake up in the morning saying, "Oh my goodness, I have to go to work again." Mm-hmm. I, I I wake up every morning around four thirty, and um, off to work I go. And every day is different. It's just incredible. There are obviously mm-hmm. some difficult situations, um, uh, especially with those residents that are scared right now. Uh, a lot of reassurance and a lot of compassion a lot of kindness you have to show them
1: okay all i can say is i wish you no covid cases or at least no covid cases for as long as possible <laughs> no, ever i don't want them ever no we don't want them ever let's hope that it's possible right i mean it's still possible that some places are covid free so maybe yours will be covid free
2: we try our best we really do yeah. the team that i have um, at Definitely. my facility is really really good so really? far and most of uh, the facilities around us do have at least one case
1: mm.
2: in the region somehow we managed to keep our doors close to COVID and we hope to keep it that way
1: we'll keep the people happy inside <laughs> So that they don't know what's going out outside too much. But anyway, I wish you the most wonderful Easter, that Sunday that you're going to spend with your kids and not at the same table. table. <laughs> <laughs> Which is going to be probably one and only Easter like that, I hope, in our lives. This is what yeah. we're all hoping for. And thank you so much, Isa. Thank you for this interview, but also thank you for the job you do. I really, really appreciate it. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you on behalf of all the families of all these residents who probably feel a lot more comfortable knowing that you guys are around. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. And I wish you a happy Easter. Keep safe. Keep your distance. Stay home.
1: Tomorrow is Easter Sunday. We're going to spend it in ways that no one has ever experienced before. At the beginning of March, and that was just at the very beginning of this whole thing, much before we knew that the pandemic was going to be so incredibly overwhelming, I recorded a conversation with Maria Rużańska from Just Be Cooking about Polish Easter traditions, which are all about being together having the Easter basket blessed in church, sharing hard-boiled eggs with family members and relatives the same way we share a the wafer, before Christmas Eve dinner. None of this is going to happen this year the way it normally does. But I thought I would let you listen to this interview so that you can learn about Polish Easter traditions if you don't know much about them. Traditions, some of which we will try to keep during this first solitary Easter which we will spend only with our closest family members. Some of those traditions will also be observed in many households where people will be alone. Maria talks about Polish Easter as it has always been, for years, and as we hope we will experience it every time after this year. Oh my goodness, (laughs) virus, virus, but we still have Easter coming, right, Maria? Yes, we do. (laughs) Are you getting ready for Easter, despite everything? Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah, it's been
0: crazy here, despite everything. Uh, The coronavirus, the washing our hands 10 million times.
1: Okay, so let's talk about Easter. Polish Easter. Tell us what somebody that's not Polish should know about Polish Easter. Well, Polish Easter
0: is actually the second biggest holiday in Poland, aside from Christmas. But one week before Easter is is Palm Sunday, where um, patrons come to church and they bring pussy willows, palms, branches, dried flowers. Sometimes they're extravagant uh, pieces of work. They're very tall and beautiful looking. And of course, we bring that to church um, to have them blessed. And that marks the entrance of Jesus in Jerusalem. uh, In my family growing up, I remember that whole week we spent just spring cleaning, you know, uh, i don't know about you margaret but uh but my house was just up up in fury just my mother was always a so uh so we used that week just to clean up the house of course for the guests coming uh, for easter saturday and sunday yeah
1: Well, have you like uh, taken over that tradition i think i have actually it's so funny that you
0: mentioned that because growing up you're like
1: why are you I can, you know clean
0: these things but then when you when you become a mother you're like oh i actually just sounded like my mother there
1: <laughs> right right i guess we can't escape some of us <laughs> talking about food then right because this is all about food so what is so characteristic of polish easter in terms of food we uh, have a tradition where we uh, paint hard-boiled eggs
0: Called pisangke. And uh, we do this with boiled onion skins to um, so make them a little darker. And we use like nail files to etch designs into them. Uh, so that was a big tradition back in my house. Uh, and I actually read somewhere that uh, pisanky actually date back to the rituals, um, pagan rituals, 5,000 years ago.
1: pisanki right? Pisanki means something written, right? Not drawn. So you were always idea. using those natural coloring things like... You said onion, um, onion skins for, for the brown and then yellow colors, right? Exactly. I right. never used any dye that was sort of synthetic and com- coming in powder and from stores.
0: Not really. No, My, our mother would always make things from scratch. That's how I learned it.
1: And you still do that in your own house? Oh yes, definitely.
0: Beets to make uh, to make red um, red dye, or um, turmeric mm-hmm. to make yellow. Uh, so you use different types. And, and then you
1: all sit together around the table and you do these etchings. I think it also comes, I mean, it's a tradition also among Ukrainians, right? Ukrainians also do pisanki.
0: That's true. Yeah. we Because uh, uh, I'm half Ukrainian, half Polish. Uh, with the Ukrainian version, you would put wax onto the egg and then et- take the wax off to reveal the color underneath so uh,
1: Yeah, it's a different type of method. Yeah, but you know what's interesting, I think, is that these decorations, the Christmas decorations on the trees, which are, you know, keys, those glass balls that are so beautiful in Poland. In fact, they export them, and uh, they are really pretty well um, admired all over the world because they're so special. I think that those those pisanki is also something like that. There were even... uh, manufacturers that would actually make them I mean almost like artists they would be sold and they would be exported to other countries they are sometimes spectacular
0: yeah yeah exactly they're so beautiful it's so vibrant different colors and uh, yeah sometimes instead of using an egg they would use wood To make them them last, yeah. Yeah. So Saturday is also dedicated, um, before we move on to Sunday, Sunday is also dedicated to Easter baskets as well. So Mm. we put together this beautiful Easter basket where we put in our casinque, sausage, bread, butter, horseradish root, salt and pepper, an Easter lamb that's made entirely of sugar uh, or plastic if you don't have sugar. And we go to the church to have our baskets blessed. By the priest, and uh, these blessings happen about every thirty minutes. They're very regular, and it's basically just you go in, you put your basket on a table with everyone else. Uh, the priest comes in, he does the prayer, he blesses the basket with his um, little brush and holy
1: water, and that's it. And you go home. Well, what about what about your family? Did you guys eat the contents of that um, basket, or was it just supposed to be sitting there and? Uh you know, as a symbol. Oh, no, we ate it. When did you guys meet? Was it like uh, lunch, kind of brunch or evening? When is the most important um, meal of the day? Well, of course, it's breakfast. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But yeah, we would eat our contents and then we would have, of course, something to accompany the dish like jurek or some uh, warmer type of dishes, deviled eggs, schledze, because with the contents in the basket, it's all very cold dishes. Tell us about
1: zurek because zurek is such an amazingly fantastic soup. I mean, I, I honestly think it's one of the best soups ever. So very unknown to many people. So what's zurek all about? Oh, zurek is uh,
0: is a lovely soup. It's um, like a sweet and sour kind of soup. Uh, it's it's also known as a white bar, bar- or white beetroot soup. Although we don't use any types of beetroot in it. It's the most humble of all the Polish soups. Uh, And at the same time, the most exotic. (laughs) Um, It it has traditionally been eaten at Easter, but now it's found uh, at menus all year round. And interestingly enough,
1: I remember that you always put hard-boiled eggs, I think, in quarters, the quarters or halves inside that jura.
0: Exactly, yeah. And and that's another thing about Easter is that when you eat your hard-boiled eggs in the basket... Uh, before you eat them yourself, you divide it up in quarters and, or in wedges. And you, like the apwatek during the Gilia, where you share the apwatek, it's the same with the egg, where you, you, you share a little bit of the egg with your uh, with your family and you wish them well. And of course, with the, because uh, nothing goes to waste in the basket because it's all blessed. So even with the egg shells, you, you do not put them into the bin. You put them into your garden. Um or mix them with some soil, so so they continue, um, they they continue their life cycle.
1: But there's also amazing uh, cakes, those mazurki that people make. I'm, I've never done it. I've never made one. I know my mother used to make them, and my grandmother used to make them. And they were quite amazing and very intricate. Do you make them?
0: Right, I, I don't make mazurk. I do make the sernik or the babka. Uh, which interestingly enough, the babka actually, because the word babka very uh, similar to grandmother, the word uh, baba, and uh, I, I was reading that it's because of the shape of the babka; it looks kind of like your grandmother's skirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, how important is Easter for you in your family? In my family, oh, it's
0: very important. Um, we go. We, we always try to. Live by the same Polish traditions that I grew up, so my children have some kind of identity to, to hold on to when they're when they're older. Uh, so we, you know, we decorate our baskets, we make our, our Easter eggs, we go to the church, we bless them, um, and then um, and then yeah, and then we have the the Easter breakfast with family that comes over. And of course, what we've also modernized it, of course,
1: a little bit, where
0: we've added the Easter egg hunt. Uh, around the house and uh, and all that. So
1: um, that's not so a, it that's a, a Polish
0: thing. That's not a Polish thing. Yeah, we never had the bunny. But I also found it very interesting that the different um, contents in the basket actually mean different things. Like, oh. uh, like of course, the egg symbolize new life and Christ's resurrection. Um, the lamb represents Christ as well. The salt, purification... Horseradish um, represents the bitter sacrifice of Christ. But I also found it interesting in Mikołaj Rey, he's a Polish poet. Um, he described the kobasa as a protector against snake bite, or horseradish as a protector against flea bites, like little things like that. And mean, he mentions a roasted grouse, which is a kind of pheasant, and that mm-hmm. is a protector against prison. <laughs> so I don't know exactly oh the origin of this. Those are really interesting to
1: find out. It goes back many centuries, Ray. Right? That's really interesting. What about this year's Easter? Do you think any of this is going to happen? I hope so. I really do.
0: We're we're really crossing our fingers. If if it doesn't happen, then there's always schmingus Dingles.
1: Shmigos Dingles. I absolutely love Wet Monday. Shmigos Dingles is people throwing copious amounts of water at each other. Yeah, exactly. And and the tradition was, of course, for
0: the boys to spray the girls with the water. Even though it was an inconvenience, of course, if you sprayed right, by water, right. uh, it was actually considered a good thing if you were a woman who was sprayed by water, because if you were left out, that means that uh, that you were left out on purpose, and you would never
1: get married. Of course, it always goes back to marriage. Right? That's
0: right.
1: In those days, <laughs> it actually is also observed in. Uh, The Czech Republic, where it's called Obleváčka in Slovak, Obleváčka in Hungarian, in Ukrainian. So I guess it's Eastern European. So we love it. And we should introduce that in Canada. You should introduce that in Canada and organize Schmigus Dingus something.
0: I tried. Yeah. I mean, with my husband, sometimes I'll spray him with a little bit of water in the morning, like my mother did. That that was my wake-up, but uh, it it hasn't caught on yet. Uh,
1: I'm I'm working on it. (laughs) uh, Well, let's see what happens this year. We do hope we're going to get some of these traditions as vivid and wonderful and happy as they always are. But it might be difficult, right? If people do not manage to or are not allowed to assemble in one place, gather in one one place, it might be a problem. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Vesoic field, that's what we say. Vesoic field. Well, I hope you found this special. COVID-19 episode 73 interesting. If you have more time now, and many people do, please listen to the previous 72 episodes if you haven't heard them yet. At least some of them. We featured fascinating people from all over the world with one thing in common, a connection to Poland. And don't forget to visit Polcast on Facebook every day. There are plenty of great stories about Poland there as well. If you know of a story worth featuring on Polcast, please let me know. And if you would like to help me make Polcast, support it financially if you can, please. You can do so by visiting mypaulcast.com support. Any small amount helps, trust me. What music do I leave you with? What can express the spirit of Easter better than Hallelujah, the most famous movement from Messiah? An oratorio composed in 1741 by George Frederick Handel. And what can be more appropriate for our unusual virtual distance Easter than this rendition of Handel's amazing piece? Over 300 members of a world famous Mormon tabernacle choir combine with over 2,000 voices of people around the world virtually singing from videos uploaded to youtube and together they all perform this incredible musical tribute to jesus christ in world's largest virtual hallelujah chorus